and welcome to the Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Liam Bird and I'm the fan liaison officer of Level Playing Field, the national charity that advocates and campaigns for better access and inclusion for sport fans who would like to attend live sport. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, welcome. I hope you're well. Uh, Let me quickly summarize it for you, though. Every month, this podcast will bring you a variety of voices to discuss disability subject matters regarding sport. Episode one, we focused on the COVID pandemic. And episode two, we were at Norwich Football Club talking to supporters as they returned to Stadia. This month's episode, we will turn our attention to disability stigma. Disabled people have been stigmatised throughout history and for some disabled people, stigma can be a significant barrier to participating in attending and taking part in live sport. In this episode, we are going to talk about stigma in quite a broad term. But what is stigma? Well, stigma can be stereotyping, whereby someone might presume a disabled person to be helpless or unable to care for themselves or unable to make their own decisions. Stigma can also be discrimination, be denied access or an opportunity under the false assumptions or stereotypes about disabled people despite disability rights being law condescending being overprotective due to the perception that a disabled person is helpless and lastly internalization a disabled person who might adopt a negative belief about disability and feeling ashamed or embarrassed about it In this episode, we are going to touch on a majority of bullet points that I've hit there regarding stigma with our guests who are Paul Glover, who is the Disability Development Manager at the Albion Foundation and Head Coach of West Bromwich Albion's Blind Football Team, as well as Mark Powell, the Strategic Accessibility Lead at RNIB, also known as the Royal National Institute of Blind People. But before I speak to them, we start this episode speaking to Nikki Baker, the Disability Access Officer at Level Playing Field and former England Power Chair player, and Anne Hyde, the chairperson of Arsenal Football Club's Disabled Supporters Association, to discuss what disability stigma means to them. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to apologise very quickly of the email pings you might hear in this episode. Unfortunately, it's one of the downfalls of recording via Zoom. Apart from that, enjoy episode three of the Level Playing Field podcast. So I suppose my first question to both of you would be, what does disability stigma mean to you and have you faced it yourself when you've attended a match? I'm going to come to you first, Anne. Disability stigma, I think, is um, for me, I think it's stereotyping and also sort of people sometimes it's social avoidance. It may be that you're left out of things like sort of, you know, social events. An example that I could sort of think of is that there's, uh, with our committee, we have two deaf people and they have found it difficult to communicate to us during our Zoom meetings. And we're trying our best to sort of try and work around that. So it's, it's you know, people feeling, you know, left out a little bit. You know, sometimes, you know, they're, people are presumed sort of help, helpless. So when, you know, you see somebody in a wheelchair, maybe that they just feel that, you know, they, they, they can't do anything for themselves. What about you, Nikki? Because uh, as a person who obviously works within disability sport and someone who plays the sport uh, the power chair football how do you see the, the the meaning of disability stigma and also have you faced it yourself going to a game even p- playing a game uh, internationally or at home so i think with stigma overall with disability it is generally other people's perceptions 
So it could be non-disabled people or sometimes it could even be actually other disabled people. You all know I'm obsessed and love my toilets. <laughs> so of course I'm going to bring that up and mention toilets. With, for example, even accessible toilets. I think the assumption is that somebody would need to be a wheelchair user to use accessible toilets. But we know that's not always the case. There are people with many other disabilities, including hidden disabilities, who may need to use and have access to an accessible toilet. And I think sometimes even maybe some wheelchair users who may not know that somebody's got a hidden ability may make that assumption that somebody's misusing an accessible toilet. So I think stigma is actually very multi-layered. I've been very lucky. I've not actually really faced too much personally on a one-to-one basis. But in terms of things like through power chair football, we have had discrimination uh, worldwide and nationally. Uh, things like venues saying they don't like the mess that our tyres leave on the sports hall floor or in other or on the reception floor or we're driving too carelessly or recklessly through the reception area. Internationally, I won't mention the country, but one country asked all of us to, all wheelchair users, to not stay in the lobby and socialise in case we scared children who were coming into the hotel. Wow. I, I don't know how long ago that was, Nikki, but do you think that people's perception of disability has improved, so therefore stigma attached to disability is in decline, or do you think do you think that's not the case? I think stigma around disability has started declining. That was actually about four years ago, so I hope it may have actually changed by now. I think because there's become more awareness of disability and hidden disabilities, the one thing I do think with hidden disabilities, I think there's still a lot of stigma around hidden disabilities. People seem to be slightly more accepting if they can see the disability and maybe they can understand it more if they can see it. So over my lifetime, I've been, I'm personally disabled and I've been disabled my whole life. And I think the attitudes towards disability and inclusion has actually improved a lot. That's not saying that we still don't have a long way to go. <laughs> And as the chairperson of Arsenal Football Club's DSA, well, I mean, one of the biggest football clubs in the world, how has the DSA gone about working with the club to try and educate not only the fans, but the club themselves uh, regarding disability? Yeah, OK. So um, an example was that some of the deaf people were finding it very difficult because when Arsene Wenger left, following that, it was a World War One celebrations that there was nothing uh, for the deaf on the screens, so they didn't know what was going on. So there was presentations going on and there was no communication whatsoever. So as a DSA, we've been working with Arsenal to make sure that the deaf are involved with any um, sort of celebrations. And they have now started, certainly um, just before lockdown, they were starting to put some information up on the screens for the deaf to read. Unfortunately, we've not really been back into the stadiums you know, enough to see what the, the impact has been. They continue to work with us as a DSA to improve um, facilities at the club. Nikki, you've, you kind of touched on, you've played uh, power chair football at competitive level, at the highest level all over the world. When you're with your power chair peers, do you talk about how non-disabled people see the sport and disability as a whole? It is something that, yeah, we do definitely discuss. And we obviously actually hope to change the view through playing power chair football and through 
the positive attitudes, we really hope to actually change the image and perception that disabled people actually can't do things or can't participate in society. So we really try changing that perception, but it is quite a slow process. I think within like the power chair football community, because most people we come into contact with would know us personally, they may already have quite a positive view. But we often discuss how we can actually change that view to the rest of society and get the word out there that disabled people can do things and do do things and can be very successful at doing things as well. This is a question for both of you, but do you think there's an element of kind of internalisation whereabouts a disabled person, person might adopt a negative belief about disability? I, I understand as a non-disabled person, I'm asking that question and that could be quite poor optics, but I'm just I'm, I'm interested as a listener. I think sometimes it might depend if the person has become disabled later in life and their previous perception of disability. Because I've actually had my disability all my life, so I've actually known no different. So I've never been able to walk, so I don't know what it's like to walk. So to me, I always actually joke that walking's overrated because of I don't know what it's like. So I don't know also what I'm missing out on from that. I think there might also be, depends also, might be on the family's attitude to disability, because I have known of people who in the past maybe have internalised things and haven't been successful or haven't achieved what they wanted to in the time frame they wanted to, because of the attitude was from their whole family, you can't do that because you're disabled or you can't do that, don't even bother trying, why would you even bother trying that so I think as well it's trying to change society's views so that if they have somebody in their family who either is born disabled or becomes disabled that they can actually still see that disabled people can and do achieve in life so this is kind of a, a what if situation so we've, all three of us know the power of football and how it can bring unity to, and social topics to the forefront of conversations if you were both the king of football what program do you think football could implement to support disabled people to educate the lazy stereotypes regarding disability uh go to you uh, go on Anne. you look like you're ready to answer i think um you know certainly you know even just in matches to sort of you know for you know level playing week coming up you know making sure that there's more advertising on the screens making sure that disabled are included in everything you know that i, I think there's there's so much with able-bodied and not so much with with disabled i think that's something that needs to perhaps improve what about you nikki i would have disability equality training sessions for everyone to start with just because i think that if people had actually more understanding i think people would be more empathetic just actually have more understanding of what sort of things that disabled people actually require when they attend football and it's not necessarily the fans who are necessarily providing that but if they could under have an understanding of why things were important then that could actually really help them and help them support the clubs in providing things as well so once again sorry back on toilets um changing places um are really important so for the listeners who don't know what changing places are they're larger than accessible toilets they have a hoist and a full-size adult changing bench so they help people with more severe disabilities to actually access toilets something as basic that people really take for granted is actually being able to go to the toilet some people without that facility can't attend football and I think for a lot of fans that would be quite shocking if they thought that some clubs didn't provide 
an opportunity for people to go to the toilet. If they applied it to themselves, they'd think that was shocking that they didn't have access to a toilet. Little pieces of information like that as well would be really important to share so that they could actually have an understanding of what disabled people may face when they go to football, the barriers that may prevent people from going to football. And something that's such a basic and fundamental human right is going to the toilet isn't always available for all disabled people. Thank you to Nikki and Anne. If you would like to know more about the Arsenal DSA, you can find a link to their work via the episode description of this podcast. Paul Glover is the Disability Development Manager at the Albion Foundation. And I wanted to speak to Paul to get a better understanding of what the foundation was doing within the West Bromwich community to tackle disability stigma in the area. Paul, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? I'm doing very well, thank you. I see you in the uh, Albion kit. How are you feeling about this season? It's not exactly been the season you probably wanted, right? The only way is up, I think, is the answer to that. Um, I'm an Albion <laughs> fan. Uh, not all of us at the foundation are. I hope we can get a win. We've got Wolves tomorrow, so... I'm hopeful we'll get a win there. I'm, I'm probably one of the more positive fans around, I think. Some people might not know what a club foundation is. So do you mind just starting out um, explaining what the foundation does and also then giving an overview of your role as head of disability at Albion Foundation? We're charity arm of the football club. So we run separately to the football club as, as all community funds are now and we're registered charity. So we don't get funded directly through the football club, but we, we obviously receive benefits as being part of the, the sort of umbrella organisation. The traditional, I suppose, what people see of community foundations like ours is the sort of after-school clubs, uh, the PE support, I'm sure many people are aware of the uh, foundations offer within schools. And then things like player development centres and, and things like that that feed in, into academies and so on and so forth. So I think that's the... Uh, and, and holiday camps, they're the sort of traditional things that people associate with, with ourselves and, and other community organisations. So my, my role's evolving, ever-evolving, and, and particularly over the last year, as, as you can imagine. So... Disability-wise, um, we, we've had a big program for, for quite a while, and I came on board uh, ten and a half years ago as one of a sort of two and a half man team, if you like. It was I was part time at, at that point, and we we grew a provision to the point that we were seeing over two thousand people in our area with with disabilities, which was just incredible, and that was from all ages. So from engaging with children at, at sort of three years uh, at schools right through to, to some of our adults that were playing football in their 60s and 70s and actually then into people with dementia and Alzheimer's through, through our memories group. And that's now developing further into, into more well-being and physical well-being. So we have fitness groups and things like that. So I think where, where it's sort of developed now, where we're very child-based initially and, and working with the children in the local community, we, we're now far more diverse and, and across the ages. So in this episode, we are talking about stigma regarding disabled people attending live sport during your time at the foundation has this subject matter of like lazy stereotypes and stigma come up for a reason for not attending live sport or even participating in sport um i, I think sometimes i mean it, it's quite strange even even within our we, so we have a pan disability group which is pano panoramic who play the running game as, as you'd know it seven or five aside and even within that group so we, we've grown that group from sort of 11 let's say about nine years ago that 11 or 12 that would come across to now we can get 80 or 90 adults 
aged over 16 with disabilities in that area. I think still when we ask them to fill the forms in at the start of the season, we ask them for their disabilities. They might not tick that they haven't got a disability or learning difficulty, but they're coming to a pan-disability session and we speak to them and we know their, their backgrounds, we know where they're from and we know it's there. But I think there's still that stigma around it and, it, and it's a real shame. One of the, the, the real highlights of my job up before COVID was seeing some of our groups come together within the stadium and particularly the, the, the pan-disability guys where they didn't know each other before they came to us, started to play football with us and then started to attend matches together. And I think that sort of work has, has really helped that them groups to feel more included in the fact that they've got a peer group around them that, that could support them within the stadium. Do you think there's even stigma in the house regarding disability and the person might have a disability and they're, they're constantly told, well, you, you can't go watch sport because it's not facilitated for you or you can't go do something because it's not facilitated for you? I think I think that's that's sort of twofold. So yes, I do believe that happens and, and probably certain communities that, that would happen more. And I think because the way that families have been brought up traditionally, that, that can be there. I've got two disabled daughters myself that have Williams syndrome. And, and I think the way that, that I sort of explain it and, and the way that we, the ethos that we've got and the way that we work is that, I've also got two two older boys that haven't got a disability. And I remember when they were sort of five, six, seven, eight, dropping them off to after school clubs, dropping them off to football clubs or, or computer clubs or whatever it was they was into at the time. And then leaving them with the adults and trusting that that was fine and, and that was going to be okay. With my daughters, we were never quite in that position and we never felt entirely certain because of their vulnerabilities, because of the things that we knew that they could do that would put them into danger. And because we need to really trust the adults that were there. So we would spend far more time assessing, risk assessing, if you like, the groups that we that we were going to. I think from that point of view, I think there's there's a reluctance from parents and, and there's probably a, I don't know, wrap them up in cotton wool. There's just, you, you need to probably be just that little bit more careful about where you're going. And again, it does depend on disability. And disability is such a huge word and such a huge umbrella and always fascinates people where people phone me up and ask for advice on disability because it's well, what, what you're asking for advice on because it is very varied but I think it is that that like I said just that extra bit of caution and and the vulnerabilities of the children that, that probably make the parents that little bit more just a bit more cautious and that's why I, I've got a real passion for us engaging with children at schools and we've got some really good examples at the foundation of children that we've met in primary schools that are still with us in adulthood because the parents have learned to trust us the individuals themselves have grown, have learned to trust us, and they know that our processes and the things that we do are going to keep those individuals safe. So at the foundation, how do you go about educating non-disabled members of the foundation regarding disability? We do workshops throughout the year with our staff. So there'll be there'll be workshops that go on and we, we have a CD, CPD programme um, on Wednesday mornings for all our staff that will include um, some disability awareness within that awareness around specific disabilities and, and so on and so forth and we have something called Albion Ambassadors which has a, a disability element to it as well so we can look at going into schools again and, and, and sort of showcasing that Do you think there is a taboo to talk about disability and raise the issue of disability? Um, I, I suppose you, you're probably asking the wrong person because we just talk about it anyway so whether people have got that 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 thought process, I think still there's a lot of disability sport out there that, that isn't recognised in this country and, it, and it's such a shame. I mean, I'm fortunate to work with our blind team and that's been one of my passions from the start. Extremely successful. We've had a number of England internationals that, that, that have played for us that we've got in, England's 
I think now second most cap footballer across any form of, of, of football in, in England uh, that plays for our team. And we're working with these people and I, I get to see close up the, the talent and, and the graft and uh, I think the guts and determination that some of the, these guys show. And we've got the same in the parachairs. So England, I don't know if, if people are aware out there, the, the European parachair champions. It's a shame it didn't get more exposure. Massive shame in this country. Four out of the eight-man squad that that went out to 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 play in that are from West Bromwich Albion. What more do you think can be done to tackle the issue of stigma within disability from the football inside? Because we both know the power of football and and how much of an impact it can have in in society. What more can do you believe that as a society and football can do to kind of get rid of those lazy stigmas? I think uh, exposure exposure to to the elite side of, of disability sport similar to what the Paralympics did I suppose in 2012 football really hasn't had that window and, and unfortunately uh, the Great Britain side uh, in blind football which is side that was representing football I suppose at that point didn't do well on that occasion so it sort of missed missed a window on that but the more exposure we can get for people seeing this and and you know I, I dream of a day where parachair football is, is shown live on I don't know, BBC Two or or Sky Sports or or something like that. And I think as soon as people see it and they engage with it and then, you know, then they realise realise what that's about. The other side of it and the other bit of work that, we, that we've been doing is obviously the more accessibility around the stadiums. And as I said earlier, disability is such a, such a wide area, but we, we've done a lot of work around trying to make the stadium more sensory uh, accessible for, for children with autism or adults with autism and trying to create those opportunities and, we haven't got it right. We're still quite a bit off, but we're working towards it. And the more people live amongst and work amongst and are able to to get the opportunities that I get on a that I get daily to to see these individuals in action, then the, the more than the stigma will go because it'll just be respect. Perfect, Paul. Thank you for talking to me. Okay, is that it? That's it. That's it. It, it was easy. There you go. Happy days. Thank you to Paul for giving up his time. And if you'd like to take part or know more about the work that Paul and his team are doing, then there is a link in the episode description of this podcast. Sadly, for some fans who are blind, partially sighted or colourblind, attending live football can be full of disabling barriers. Barriers that have come about by lazy stereotypes and stigmas. You only have to read some of the comments and social media posts to realise we have a long way to go to educate members of the public. One such person who is doing just that is Mark Powell. Mark is the Strategic Accessible Lead at RNIB. We discuss the work that RNIB is doing through technology, but first we talk a little football. Morning, Mark. How are you? All good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Uh, let's talk football first. I believe you're a Liverpool fan. Yeah, I've been brought up as a Liverpool fan since I was a kid. There's only one team in Liverpool as far as I'm concerned, but I don't want you to get any bad reviews here. But no, I'm a massive Liverpool fan. And as a young lad, I was a huge Stevie G fan growing up too. He was my hero and it's been in the family and there was obviously no, no room for not being a Liverpool fan. So uh, yeah. I suppose after the highs of last season, how are you finding the the relative lows? I, I say low. We've got people who are Arsenal fans in in the office, and they moan about like how difficult it is. And I feel like if you're a lower league fan like I am, 
It's like, get real, mate. Like, you you don't know suffering. Like, you don't <laughs> know it. So, I mean, for you, you just got, like, two defenders out and your, your strikers can't score. But, I mean, how are you finding this season? Yeah, yeah I think you, you keep going down this controversial route here. <laughs> by, by, by dropping those sort of reminders in. But it's a weird season for everyone, isn't it? I mean, I was only talking to a, a friend of mine the other day who's an Arsenal fan. And it was only a couple of weeks ago that, you know, we were talking about Arsenal, you know, being sort of at the bottom of the table. And equally the same with Man United as well. Like, sort of back in October, we it was like all about Man United and how terrible they were. And, and look how the seasons change. You know, you've got currently United at the top of the league. And then within the space of a couple of games, it all it all changes, you know. And it's, uh, it's a weird season after last year. You know, it was it was obviously amazing to, to win the title after so long. But you just can't call it this year. I'm, I'm hoping we get that sort of, we get a bit of a bit of momentum. I heard someone sum it up quite well with saying that last season was like figure skating. If someone slips up, that's it, they're done. This season's more like a, like a bar fight. Like anyone's just <laughs> scrapping and punching and anyone could win it. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great analogy, yeah. Let's talk about the subject matter for this month, which is uh, stigma regarding disability. And I've heard this a few times and I'm near certain you've sadly heard this as well. Why would a blind supporter want to attend a live football game when they can't see the game? What would you say to a supporter who has that mindset? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, obvious sort of go-to is, you know, what, what are you going to get from it? You know, if you can't see what's going on and, you know, it it all starts the minute you get to the stadium. You know, I, I speak for myself, but I also speak from the point of view of going with, with other blind people to a game, including, including me dad at, at times. And, um, you know, just from the minute you get there, you know, the, the atmosphere is, is something that, you know, you don't have to see the atmosphere. You can, you can feel it, you know, you're in and around the stadium. It's buzzing. Everybody's excited. You know, it's tense at the same time. So you're feeling that you're feeling that emotion all of the time and, you know, getting into the stadium and, and, and watching the game, you know, there's so many different uh, ways to look at this, you know, we dependent on, on your visual impairment. So, you know, I can, for example, see sort of what's going on. I can see it, something what's going on at the, t- at the side of the pitch where I am, you know, quite close by. I couldn't tell you who it was that was scoring, but you can I can actually pick that up from the fans when I'm there of what's going on. You can you can just feel when your team has come close. But then equally, you know, I, I've sat next to my dad who's completely blind and he's using the audio descriptive commentary. And at times, you know, he was telling me what was going on at the end of the pitch that I couldn't see. And then when it was down my end, at least I could see what was going on. So two blind people with, with different levels of sight supporting each other. So sadly, that mindset I spoke about is not just a fan mindset. We we at Level Playing Field um, was once informed that one club was offering audio descriptive commentary seats for blind and partially sighted fan located behind a pillar, which obviously mm. obstructs views. And their words back to us was, well, they can't see anyway. What work have R&IB done in the past or are doing to kind of end lazy stigma regarding blind and partially fans attending live games within the football and the industry or sporting industry? This isn't just related to sport, and we certainly have been um, active in this space. But the first thing to do for us, and the thing I, I really, you know, make sure myself and the team do is you've got to really start at a at a level of understanding. You know, getting an understanding of of what blind or partially sighted means is really key. Um, because, like you say, the general assumption is that you can't see anything anyway. So let's sit that person behind the post, like you say. There's so many variant levels of visual impairment. You know, 
of blind and partially sighted people have actually still got some residual vision. That's quite a shock to some people. You know, we are really keen to to educate in order for solutions to, for them to be to be built around, you know, people like like us who are who are blind and partially sighted or services to be to be improved just because there's that level of understanding in place already. And, you know, if it isn't there, things can fall down sometimes, you know, and, and it can be the responsibility of the organization to just make sure that that staff are adequately trained, you know, just to to be able to to have that degree of empathy to understand what that person is going through based on their requirements. It's not as cut and dry as, as being, you know, completely um, completely blind. There's there's so many variant levels, like I say, and that's an absolutely key part to this. I'm interested to know if you believe that the stigma barrier around disability is stopping more disabled people going to watch live sport. Because you talked about going to go watch games with your dad and yourself. Your dad ever spoken to you about his time he attended live sport as a blind fan. The amazing thing about this is that when I, the last time I went to the football with my dad, he hadn't been to the football in that long that the last time he went, he could actually see. Um, so the condition that, that we've got is a degenerative condition and, and touch wood, mine has stabilised now for the last sort of 20 years. But the last time he went was when he could see. And, and I said to him why, and he didn't outright say it, but, you know, the like you say, that general... Uh, feeling of you know what what's it going to be like are are the staff going to be helpful what if i can't find the seat what if it's a struggle you know i don't want to put the burden on who i go with to guide me there you know it's busy there's so many things that come into our head you know we we think ahead where i always say you know as blind people we're great pre-planners and that just doesn't go for actually doing something it also goes for some of the potential barriers that we may may face but you know i have to say you know going to go into the match when there was two of us who were blind and no sighted support, I was dropped off outside Anfield. Then the first challenge is, okay, busy. I need to find our gate. Also, wouldn't quite fancy getting something to eat. The, the things even just to get to that stage are massive. You know, navigating the crowds, getting to somewhere to eat, actually asking the person behind the counter, can they read the menu? And then potentially looking at you as if to say, are you being lazy or what? You know, the menu's just behind me. Um, then trying to find the gate in which you want to go into, asking a steward for help who may not quite understand the reason why you're asking for help and may just point rather than direct. Yeah. You know, there's, we're not even in the stadium yet. So there's so many different different potential barriers and hurdles that you have to get to before you even get in. Is there any example that you could give me regarding the work that you've done with RNIB about uh, kind of removing stigma towards disability? So like I touched on before, you know, I think I think the first important step to do that is to is to bring everybody around the table and, and give them this this understanding of, of sight loss, for example, that that they've they've never really connected with before. And I and with Tottenham Hotspur, when we you know, I worked with them on the, the redevelopment of, of that stadium and um it was important from the outset to get, give everybody this balanced view of, of visual impairment. Uh, the way we did that was we actually have an app um, that simulates sight loss. So you put it into a little a little VR cardboard viewer, um, your phone into into the viewer, and you can actually simulate sight loss based on what the camera is seeing. Generally, when we do that, people around the room are going, "Oh my god, I didn't, I didn't understand that. I didn't get, I didn't quite get the 
the impact that this has on on you or on on other people with a visual impairment and it's it's a very powerful tool and especially when we walk around a stadium or a space you know for people to see through the eyes and are simulated through the eyes of of a blind person and what that means it's they they very quickly realize it's not a case of putting a blindfold on which you know a lot of people think is is the way to go it's actually it can actually be peripheral vision not being there it can be you know patches in the vision and fortunately we're able to simulate that now using tools like vr so let's kind of finish up with this question it's the big question really if you were king of football and you could eradicate stigma regarding disability what one thing would you implement to try and eradicate stigma so i think i think i've got to stick to my word here like i've said on on this now if i could eradicate the stigma i would i would give people a greater level of awareness but i wouldn't do it in your typical sense of sitting people down in front of a presentation and and expecting them to learn about the clinical meaning of sight loss i would bring it to life it's got to be human I would use some of the the learnings that we've had, which is around simulation. I would try and bring that to life for both fans and for people who are managing the stadiums for the clubs. You know, make that something that people can interact with in in such a way that they they feel they want to interact with it. Campaigns around disability are, are great, but the best ones are the ones that actually really connect with the general public. And there's a fine line to be tread there. And I I think. You know, I, I can't come up with a campaign while I'm talking to you now, but I think, you know, more and more, if we can start humanize this, bring things to life and do things in a way which, you know, has an element of shock, shock factor, but really bring people to the point of, of understanding through some of the technology and tools that we have at our disposal now, I think that'd be great. Perfect. Mark, thank you so much for your time, pal. And uh, I, I'm not going to wish Liverpool the best because they don't need my luck, really. I didn't expect you to, to give any, any good words to Liverpool considering what you've said on here, but you know, <laughs> as soon as you press that stop button, we'll, we'll sort this out. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty fair. I don't know, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. Thank you so much to Mark for taking the time to talk to me. As with all guests on today's episode, you can find out more about the work that they are doing in the episode description of this podcast. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed what you've heard today, please do go and post about it on social media. Tell your friends and also go rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We will be back in one month's time. Till then, stay well. <laughs>